Let's just look to the Lord in prayer for a few minutes. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your blessing upon our lives. Thank you for your favor as we move into a new year. Thank you for redeeming us and setting us free from all the mistakes that we've made in the past. Any place that there's regret, any place that there's shame or guilt, Lord, we thank you that we can be totally and completely set free from that today. And so I thank you that we can turn our gaze away from what has been and look into a new year, look into the future by the Spirit at what shall be and what can be. And so, Father, I ask that you would fill our hearts and our minds full of potentials and possibilities that transcend human limitations and help us by faith to walk those things out. And we give you thanks and we give you praise for it in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can agree with that, just say amen and you can be seated. I'm going to talk to you this morning. Uh, kind of the title of the message is going to be Upset, Upset the Mindset. <laughs> and I'll look at a few portions of scripture, but I want to start in Romans chapter 8. Very simple verse. Kind of starting with the first verse. I'm going to skip around a little bit if, if you can follow me because I'm going to be jumping around. Good luck. Otherwise, you can just listen, but I will give you the references. Romans 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Everybody say with me, according to the. <laughs> right. So it's either according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. So the Spirit puts a law called the law of the Spirit of life into operation that delivers you from all bondage and all death. Okay, thought that would go over better than it did, but that's all right. (laughs) So then he says in verse five, I'm going to jump down to verse five. For those who live according to the flesh set, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace because the carnal mind is enmity or it's against or it's an enemy enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God uh, is in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now, when we talk about according to the flesh, depending upon your background, you're going to attach a meaning to that. Now, if you've never heard this before, you're not going to have any meaning and you are blessed and highly favored because we're going to give you something that I think is going to be more empowering than the meaning I was given when I used to read the New International Version, not the new one, but the old new one. Here's what I mean. They came out with the NIV Bible in 1984, and it was a staple for all the different study Bibles. There was a student Bible, study Bible, all that stuff. You could get little ones, big ones, teen ones, all kinds of stuff, right? And then in 2011, they retranslated it. And the new translation is much better, and it's much uh, uh, truer to what's actually being said here than the old NIV. Did I lose you yet? Okay, so the old NIV and some of the other translations translate this, talk about walking according to the sinful nature or according to the spirit or having your mind set on the sinful nature versus having your mind set on the spirit. Um, and, and so the idea is, is that you have two natures. You, you, you have, two, how many of you ever heard it this way? You have two dogs inside of you wrestling. One is the flesh and one is the spirit. And whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to win, right? Anybody ever hear that? Uh, and so it, it gives you this idea that you're half angel and half demon. <laughs> but it's difficult to reconcile with some other scriptures, some other things that Paul said. For example, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So how can you be a new creation where all things have become new and still retain a sin nature? So the NIV went back and they fixed their mistake. Because what it should be is in the realm, and the way to say it now in the new NIV is, those who set their mind in the realm of the flesh. Now, when Paul is using the term according to the flesh in Romans, he uses it over and over and over again, and he has a very specific meaning that has nothing to do with two natures, and has nothing to do with morals or morality. 
have to let that sink in for a minute. Prime example is in the first beginning of the book when he's talking in Romans chapter 1. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, chosen according to God, separated under the gospel of God, which is about his son, Jesus Christ, who was born after the seed of David according to the flesh, but was declared to be the son of God by power or with power by the spirit of holiness in the resurrection from the dead. Romans chapter 4, I'm just giving you a couple references. He says, what is it that Abraham, our father according to the flesh, has found? What is it that Abraham, our father according to the flesh, has found? So you've got to understand that Paul is writing to Jews specifically. And their national identity was that they were the children of Abraham. So Jesus, according to the flesh, was... The seed of Abraham, but he was also the seed of David. He comes from a kingly line, right? He was Mary's boy, <laughs> right? But in the spirit, he was the son of God, according to the spirit of holiness and power. So the issue was not two natures warring with each other. And the issue wasn't even a moral issue. It was an issue of two different identities. Having an identity according to the flesh or according to the way the culture in which you're born and raised thinks and operates. Because remember, John tells us that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not know him. Right? So even though he came to those who were of the seed of Abraham according to the flesh, because they operated according to the flesh, they could not know who Jesus was. They had a group what I'm going to call a group consciousness or a group mindset. See it? So when he's talking about the flesh, he's not talking about a different nature inside of you. He's not even talking about moral choices necessarily. He's not limiting it to that. It, might, it very well includes that, but it's not limited to that. Are you tracking with me? He's talking about two different, really, two different mindsets or two different identities. An identity that's according to your group consciousness that is limited by everything the way your group thinks. And having that mindset, that mindset leads to death, he says. That mindset is your problem. Or you can have a mindset that's after the spirit. And if you have a mindset after the spirit, it's life and peace. For to have your mindset after the group is... Death, to be carnally minded is death, but to have your mindset after the spirit is what? Life and peace. So here's the issue. Here's, here, our problem is we don't know what our problem is. No, it's really true. Because we look outside, we look everywhere else that's not the problem trying to solve the problem. So we do this as Christians. Some, some Christians think that God is their problem. <laughs> God is, the problem that they're having in their life is because it must not be the will of God. Or God is trying to teach them something. Or God is punishing them. Or God is showing them something. Or God is resisting them. So here's the thing. If you think God is your problem and you set out to solve the problem, what are you going to do? Or fix the problem. If you think God is your problem, you're going to set out to fix God. Now, other Christians don't buy into that mindset and they say, the devil is my problem. So the devil is resisting me. The devil is causing me problems. The devil, the devil, the devil, the devil, right? I was trying to get to class Wednesday night. And I finished my notes, I had handouts, I'm ready to print off my handouts, and I go to print and my computer locks up. <clears throat> and I wait like forever for it to unlock, you know, like to quit processing or whatever. And of course it doesn't. <laughs> so I have to force quit my thing. And I'm sitting here thinking, if I force quit this, I wonder if it's going to save. So I force quit it, and sure enough, it did not save. <laughs> so, and not only did the handout not save, but my notes didn't save either. Half my notes didn't save. So here I am about an hour and a half before class, and I'm having to recreate all my notes just so I can teach the class. So then we're going, we're doing it at the Adams building, and I suddenly realize I need a board to write on, but the board isn't at the Adams building, the board is down here. So I've got to get into town early enough to see if I can go to Office Depot or something and buy a board, because I, I just have to have that in order to write on. So I'm on my way, and it's like 20 minutes before class starts, and I get in the parking lot, and I'm in the parking lot, and, and I'm following somebody through the parking lot looking for a place to park, and they miss their parking place, so they throw it in reverse all of a sudden, and before I know it, they back into me. They didn't know I was there. So I'm like, ugh. 
So I get out, have to deal with that. I go look for the, the board and I decide that's too much money. I'm not spending money on that. <laughs> so I'm like five, ten minutes late for the class. So somebody could say, you know, the devil didn't really want you to teach what it was that you were going to teach. And so the devil was resisting you. And so the devil is my problem. So I can bind the devil. And re- so again, if you think the devil's your problem, what are you going to do? Set out to fix the devil. So I know how to fix the devil. I'll yell at him. I'll bind him. I'll plead the blood over him. He hates the blood of Jesus. So I'll just scream about the blood a little bit, you know, and I'll just say the name of Jesus. And now, whoo, I'm free from the devil, right? Till next week when he gets unbound. <laughs> Till I leave the prayer meeting where I tied him up because that's what binding means. I bound the devil. I tied him up. I left the prayer meeting. And what'd you know? I, I get in another car accident or the dishwasher breaks down or I get in a fight with my wife or my kids start acting like the devil. And so I think, well, he got untied. He's an escape artist, that devil. So, so I come back to the prayer meeting again. And then I find out that doesn't work, so I go to the next spiritual warfare conference. Because if I can go to the next spiritual warfare conference, I can find out just exactly what I need to do to fix the devil. And we think we're spiritually minded. If you're a more naturally minded person, then the, 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 the devil is not your problem. Your boss is your problem. Or your coworker is your problem. Or the system is your problem. Or the government is your problem. Or your, your decisions that you made 20 years ago that you can't change are your problem. See, we look everywhere. But, but Paul really says this. He says, look, it's all in your mindset. If your mindset is after the flesh, it's going to be death. If your mindset is after the spirit, it's going to be life and peace. And so you, you begin to fix your problem when you begin to look at how you're thinking. The problem (laughs) with telling you you have a sin nature is to tell you that your nature is the problem. That you're the problem. That's why I don't like stuff like, you know, if you want to know what the problem is, look in the mirror. (laughs) And we'll see in a minute, that does not help you. Because even you are not the problem. You are created in the image of God. You are a child of God. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. All things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He made him who knew sin to be no sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We can do all that stuff, right? You're not the problem. The problem is your mindset. The problem is the way you think. So walking in the Spirit has everything to do with looking at your thinking And changing your thinking. And what you'll discover if you begin to do that is that your thinking is not really your own. You ever notice how every generation tries to rebel and ends up doing the same things? 60s, we're going to rebel and be different, so we're all going to grow our hair long and do tie-dye t-shirts. And I know somebody, you guys know them too, I I won't say the name, but they kind of came up through the Jesus people, hippie, they were hippies. And so he told me they used to just like hitchhike. They had their guitars and they, you know, they would just long hair and they would hitchhike and they would, they would sneak into colleges and take showers on the college campus and maybe go into the cafeteria, wait for somebody to leave their, uh, tray of food and sit down and eat the food. And that's how they made their way to Woodstock or whatever. So, but my point is you have, you have, you have a person who thinks they're rebelling, but what they're doing is conforming. So maybe later, you know, tattoos are the end thing, and the the generation before us, oh, you know, tattoos are of the devil. You know, that <laughs> says so somewhere in the Bible, you shall not mark on your skin or something, <laughs> right? And so and so and so everybody says, no, we're rebelling against, we're free, we're going to get tattoos, and then everybody gets tattoos, right? And so it's not, so you, you, you never, I mean, for the most part, most people never escape group consciousness; they just shift from one group to the next. Does that make sense? I use this, it's, it's a good illustration. It makes a point. I used it for service, so I'll use it again. How many of you, if you want to understand how a group mindset produces or does not, well, let me say it this way. If you want to understand how a group mindset produces results, just read the book, Rich, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you ever have a chance. Anybody in here ever read that book? Yeah. A few of you? Okay, those of you that don't know about it, it's, 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 I mean, it's been around forever since, I think, the early 90s, I think. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a brilliant idea. The guy, the guy writes it and he says, I, I was born to a, what he calls his poor dad. 
And then he had a friend whose dad was wealthy who took him under his wing and mentored him. And so he said, I had a poor dad and I had a rich dad. And he goes through this whole tale and talks about how his poor dad taught him to think versus how his rich dad taught him to think. Now, for those of you, you know, you got to understand his poor dad was a very successful university professor who made over $80,000 a year, had a 401k, had a retirement. So I don't know. That was his poor dad. But he goes through the mindset. And one of the simple things he says was he says, watch the group mindsets. He said the poor people work for their money. That's the basic problem. They work for their money. And we talk about it. We earn a living. We make a living. Right? Some people are so busy making, they don't do any living. <laughs> right? He says, that's what poor people do. He said, rich people, what they do is they make their money work for them. And it's a complete shift of mindset between working for your money and learning how to put your money to work for you. So the person who works for their money will spend their time developing a skill. So they go to law school, they go to become a teacher, whatever. They spend all their time and education in learning a skill that someone will pay them to provide. Yes, that's working for your money. A rich person, according to the book, I'm I'm not advocating one system over the other. I'm simply pointing out an illustration. The rich people, according to the the, what the guy says, I can't remember his last name, so I don't even his first name's Robert, (laughs) the author. What he says is that a rich person will spend all that time learning about investing. Because their goal is to make their money produce money rather than their skills produce money. And then he teaches you a whole system of how to borrow other people's money to make it make money for you. And that's the first of many scams to come down the pike. That the only people it makes rich are the ones who say it's going to make you rich if you buy their system. That's just been my experience. I don't know. Maybe it's the mindset. But, but there is truth to it. There, there is definitely truth to it. That wealthy people make their money by investing their money. So that whether you are sleeping, working, eating, whatever, your money's making money for you. So here's how poor person, here's how that one thought, that one belief, another way it'll govern your life is, you know, pretty soon we're going to all be thinking about our tax returns, right? And so when it used to be, you know, when I get that tax return, I'm going to fill in the blank. So I'm getting a $2,000 tax return. And I don't know about you, but I would have in my younger years for sure, I would have that $2,000 tax return spent like five times before I ever got it. Because I'm thinking, well, I could buy a new computer with my tax return. I could um, go on vacation. I could take the family to Disney World with my tax return or whatever. And it's always more. You always end up spending more than what you, you... It's just the way it seems to go, right? Now, a person who's trying to transition from poor dad to rich dad is going to think, how can I invest that $2,000? And they're going to spend all their time looking for a place to put that $2,000 so that it will make money for them. And that could be as simple as buying, maybe you know how to work on cars or something. I'm just using an example. So, so maybe you're able to buy a car for $2,000 and put 2000 into it, fix it up or whatever, and sell it for $4,000. You see, see the difference in the thought? So you have one group that thinks one way, you have another group that thinks another way. And the truth is, neither one of those necessarily are the spirit. Because the spirit is going to think totally differently. So here's a basic switch for you. Um, and I wanted to make this more about our identity, so I'm going to come back to that. But I'm trying to help you get the principle. I'll give you a basic one. Ultimately, who is your source? Who is providing for you? People in the poor group will say, my employer is providing for me. Maybe Social Security is providing for me. Fixed income is providing for me. Whatever. Whoever's writing that check that's coming to you, that is your provider. Now, when you think that's your source, you'll make all kinds of decisions to keep your source happy. (laughs) So you'll stay in a job you don't like. You may even develop ungodly attitudes and ungodly behaviors staying in a job you don't like. Because you gotta fit into the group, and your boss ultimately ends up lording over you. Make sense? The rich people can do the same thing, only they think their money is providing for them. 
You're either working for a living or your money's working for you. If your money's working for you, then your money is your source. So you've got to get money, and, and, and then they can be... Listen, when it comes to life and peace, I, I think really wealthy people are in more bondage in terms of not having life and peace than people who have less. It's just... It's, it can just be the truth. I mean, if you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from, you're probably not sleeping very well. But if you've got a million dollar or two million dollars to manage in investments... Or you've got a business with several employees and you're, wor- you're worried about markets. You're worried about all kinds of stuff that you can't control. Your investment's in real estate. What's going to happen to the real estate market? Your investment's in the stock market. You've got to track all that stuff that the government's doing and policies and what's changing, what's affecting and implement. Either way, you're bowing down to a different source. But to think uh, with the mind of the Spirit is to say, no, God provides for my needs. So God ultimately is my source. So God can use investing or God can use employers or God can use the government. But ultimately, those are simply the tools or the means by which God is using to provide for me. And so when I understand God is my source, I understand the tool of provision can be subject to change. So if I've got an investment and the market crashes, I'm not worried because the market wasn't my source. God was my source. And I know God can use a different means. I, I just, I'm not, I'm just, I'm illustrating a point. So the last time the stock market really crashed was 2008, right? We didn't have a lot in retirement or a lot invested. But in June, I'm just praying I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord and I have this, I get caught up in this vision. I have this vision and I see the calendar and I see, I, it's like June or July and I see the June page tear. I see the July page tear. I see the August page tear. I see the, it starts slowing down in September. I see the September page slowly pulled off and then like kind of the September, October thing together. And then I see a headline, a news headline about a stock market crash. And then some other stuff that was there. So I knew, see, the Holy Spirit's telling me, pull out. And so it was the end of September, I think, or the first part of October. I don't remember because I was in Alaska at the time. And I was in Alaska like the last week of September and the first couple of weeks of October when the market crashed. And I remember I was there at a training with people that were heavily invested in the stock market. And man, they were depressed. But we weren't. Because, see, God was our source, and so we were walking after the Spirit. But you've got to be able to trust that stuff. You know, some people say, well, maybe that, was a pe- maybe that was my pizza, maybe that was my imagination, maybe that was just worry, whatever. But no, it was the Spirit of God. But see, long ago, we disconnected, we unplugged from the system. The, the church is not our provider. God is our provider. God uses things that come through the church. God uses other streams of income that we have to provide for us. And may use other streams of income in the future. But see, none of that stuff is our source. So we don't, we don't live our lives. I don't, I don't go home and look at the giving records and say, well, gee, who gave a lot this year? Um, I'm going to spend more time with them this year. <laughs> I apologize to you if you give a lot and you don't feel like you're getting enough out of me. You can come sit down. We'll have a talk. But that's dangerous for me. It's dangerous for a minister to do that. So I don't have a clue. I don't ever see it. Ever. I don't have a clue. But ultimately, so I'm not worried about losing somebody and making sure I preach what they like or do what they like so that they're really controlling it because they're providing. And that happens. I mean, there are true. I mean, you're instructed group mindset. You're instructed. Make sure you take your biggest givers and put them on your corporate board. I'm not going to do that because then they're going to be running the church instead of the Holy Spirit. Now, if they're spiritually minded, great, that's a different deal, but who knows? I've got to really get to know how you think before I do that. Are you tracking with me? So just changing a thought, just changing a belief changes everything if you change your thought at a high enough level. See, changing your thought over here from working for a living Working for money to making money work for you is a high-level change that will change how you operate in all these other lower levels. It's basic, to bring you back, as basic as spending my time developing a skill that will make me money or spending my time understanding how to make my money work for itself. 
Again, I'm not advocating for either system because we all have different callings. We all have different jobs in this life. One is not better than the other. You've got to know what, what makes you happy. You've got to know what God put you on this earth to do. Uh, and, and if God put you on this earth to make a lot of money, then probably you need to think a lot about investing. <laughs> right? But just the difference, you see how that one difference in thinking governs your decisions and your behaviors. Because it's about the mindset. So that's what Paul's trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us, look, it's the way that you think. But here's the thing. If you really want to be led by the Spirit, you have to break out of group consciousness, out of group mindset. And the most powerful beliefs that you and I can change are beliefs that we have about ourself and our relationship to God. It's the most powerful thing. Because what you believe about yourself, your beliefs about yourself, go everywhere with you. (laughs) They go into your marriage. They go into your job. They go into whatever you're doing in church. They go into whatever you're doing with play. However you're relating to God. Whatever you think. Whatever you think at a deep level. Whatever you say to yourself about yourself governs every experience that you have. So when you change a belief at the sense of self, you change everything. You change absolutely everything. Let me give you a few uh, um, examples. Here is a list of common beliefs that are according to the flesh. These don't come from the spirit. See if you can relate to any of these, if you've ever had any of these. And oftentimes, these beliefs are at a feeling level. You may be saying, you may or may not be saying them to yourself about yourself, but you may be feeling this way about yourself. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. It's going to happen again. I can't stop it. There's no way out. I'm trapped. It's hopeless. It will never change. I'll never please him or her. I can't do it right. I can't get it right. I'm wrong. I'm to blame. It's all my fault. I caused it. I will get hurt. I'm worthless. I'm not important. I'm not special. There's something wrong with me. I'm no good, I'm bad, I'm alone. Did I find you yet? <laughs> now, here's, here's what we don't realize. Those programs, those beliefs, come always, 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 always come out of a group context. There's always pain behind it, but the pain always has someone else involved. Or, in the case of neglect, not involved. (laughs) It comes out of trauma. You know what trauma is, right? Now, trauma, you don't have to go on the battlefield to suffer trauma. Trauma is anything that jars you and your sense of self. Anything that jars your sense of self is a trauma. So if you went to school and you were dyslexic before the schools were really good at identifying dyslexia and you had all kinds of difficulties in school, watch how you're doing this in a group. You're in a group setting and everybody else is getting the answers and you're not getting the answers. Everybody else is doing is progressing through a pig can jig or whatever it was it taught you how to read, right? And you're struggling. And so maybe they send you to remedial classes, but I don't know how it works now, but when I was in school, you, you, they, they, they called you out. Like you went to reading class and then this group, get up, up, oh, you're going down here. Well, where are they going? They're going to Title I. <laughs> well, what's that? That's for the kids that can't read. Think about how that jars you. And you're little, so it starts defining what you think about yourself. To this day, I get intimidated by numbers. 
to this day. Because when I was in high school, I could not learn algebra. I couldn't learn it. I, my Algebra 2 teacher is a believer. Might listen to me sometimes. Told me he did. God bless you, Al. May you live forever. <laughs> Help me pass Algebra 2 in unique ways. Like flunking the test Monday, getting the answers back on Tuesday, letting me, giving me the answers on Tuesday, letting me retake the test Tuesday after school and leaving the room while I took the test. <laughs> and I'm as smart as any other 17 year old, you know, I'm missing one or two for good measure, so it doesn't look like I'm. <laughs> Don't show any of my work. Don't show the equations, but. No, I'm not advocating for that. I'm telling you that's tragic. <laughs> but now, before you think I was just worthless, I, my mom hired tutors. I took the class, I took Algebra 1 three different times. I kept flunking. I had tutors. I remember Mrs. Brager, God bless her, sitting there working with me. And I just, I couldn't get it. I get into college, I, I start taking my online classes, I have to take an online class, and Tiffany Bundy, God bless her, she, she, she loves math, so she offers the first night, I'll never forget this, the first night she says, well, I'll tutor you. So I have my little general math book, general math, college level, general math, and she comes over, and she's, I don't, I, to this day, I don't know what she said, because she's telling me all this stuff, she's like, oh, well, you just do this, and this, and this, and this, and she's using all this language, and to me, she's speaking in tongues. She gets done talking to me, and I don't—I can't imagine what the look on my face must have been. But I'm like, I'm waiting for the interpretation. <laughs> I just look at her. I'm like, I have no idea what you just said. But thanks to Tiffany, I ended up getting an A in that class. But, but, but that went all the way back to my third grade. Uh, multiplication, like when they were teaching me division, because in order to do algebra, you have to be able to divide. And I could not figure out division. Now, here's the thing. I'm pretty smart. I mean, my IQ is pretty good. So it had nothing to do with my intellectual ability. To this day, I don't know what it had to do with. Maybe it had to do with my third grade teacher that didn't like me. Who knows? Probably because I had a crush on her daughter. But anyway, <laughs> in the third grade, you know, I mean, what can you do? But, <laughs> but a pattern got set in my life about numbers and about my belief about my ability to negotiate that part of the world that to this day causes me anxiety when people start talking about numbers. But see, that's a group trauma. Everybody else is passing. Everybody else is figuring it out. So I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me. So what kind of beliefs do I come back with? I'm stupid. I'm flawed. I can't get it. I'm not smart. I'm not good with numbers. So guess what? I didn't go into science. I didn't go into accounting. So that belief... I didn't go into investing because that belief challenges and governs all these other things so that I walk according to what I believe. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that God put this system in place so that you will experience, be it unto you, as you have believed you will experience what you believe you don't believe me <laughs> read your bible the most basic lesson that the new testament draws upon when you're reading the new testament particularly in the book of hebrews but other places as well it draws upon the story of israel coming out of egypt going through the wilderness and into the promised land and that first generation did not enter in because of their unbelief. Unbelief is never an individual thing. Unbelief is always a group thing. 
O wicked and unbelieving generation, always seeking after a sign. So Moses, God says, I'm going to take all of you into the promised land. And Moses sends 12 spies into the land. Ten spies come back and say, they, they go in there and they see giants and they see strongholds. And they come back and they tell millions of Jews, God brought us out in the wilderness to die. That's what they said. God brought us out in the wilderness to die. And it was an issue of self-belief. They said, we saw the giants there and we were in our own eyes as grasshoppers. We were. It's the level of their identity. Right? One guy's undecided. He doesn't say anything. That's Joshua. And one guy, Caleb, comes out and says, God is with us. He was with us in Egypt. He's been with us in the wilderness. And he has given us the land. We are well able to take it. See, it wasn't enough for him to say God's able to do it. He had to connect it to the sense of self and say, we, with God, are able to take the land. Now, here's the interest. And then Joshua sides with him. Joshua's undecided. He sees Caleb. It inspires something in Joshua. And Joshua says, yes, I agree. So because Joshua decided, here's the thing. God says, that entire generation that did not believe me, they're going to die in the wilderness. What did they believe? God brought us out in the wilderness to die. Even though it wasn't the will of God, even though God wanted something else, they got what they believed. And here's what God says when he finally decides that. He says, that generation that did not believe me, they'll get what they believe. They'll die in the wilderness because they did not heed my voice. So in other words, here's what God's saying. I'm, here's God's approach. I'm not going to force anything on you in life. I'm not going to even force blessing on you. I'm not even going to force victory on you. I'm not even going to force good things on you. But I will try to persuade you to believe that you can have those things. And if I can persuade you to believe that you can have those things, then you and I can create a new future together because God decided in the garden He wanted to do stuff with you, not without you. That's why Paul says, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He never said, Christ can do all things without me. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So we make two errors. We either think that God has abandoned us... And we've got to pull ourselves by, by our bootstraps or God doesn't exist. So we have to do it ourselves, and it all comes from us. Or we make the mistake of believing we're just worms. We just don't have any part to play in this. It's all got to be God. So I got to figure out how to pray because God's my problem. And if I can persuade God to do something different, then I'll get a different result. So I'm going to read books on prayer. I'm going to get on every prayer list and find somebody who maybe is more persuasive. They got it in with the big guy more than I got it in with the big guy. Maybe I can get them to change mine because God's a problem and I got to solve God. No, God says, I'm going to do it with you. Paul says, we, we, listen to the identity statements. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If God be for us, who can be against us? Not who can be against God. It's easy to sit back and say, well, if God wants to do it, who could be against God? If it's the will of God. But you never connect it to the sense of self. So both groups are right. The ones that said we're going to die in the wilderness, they died in the wilderness, though God tried to persuade them of something else. But the ones who said we are well able to take the land, the two that said we're well able to take the land, God says I'm going to raise up a new generation and I'm going to give them two witnesses because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So I'm going to provide two witnesses, but they're going to have to provide the third because I'm not going to do it for them. So they come up under Joshua and Caleb until they make the witness themselves. We are well able to take the land. So whatever they believed is what they received. Your mindset is the issue. The story of Gideon, you know the story of Gideon, right? 
Gideon's, the Midianites are ruling the land, and partly because God told Joshua to drive them out, and he didn't. So the Midianites are still there, and, is, and they're stealing the harvest from the Israelites. And so here's Gideon, and he's trying to shove harvest. He's trying to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord shows up to him by a tree, and this is what the angel of the Lord tells him. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, no, how can the Lord be with me? I'm from the smallest tribe. Like he's full of fear. Because, see, he's bought into the group consciousness. I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm the smallest in my family. We're Israelites. We're scared. We're afraid. And God doesn't show up to Gideon and say, you know what? God can do this. The angel didn't show up and say, God can do this. The angel shows up and says two things. He says, God is with you. See, that's what Caleb said. God is with us. We can take the land. God is with you, O mighty man of valor. And you know what? He had to be persuaded. He had to put out some fleeces, if you know the story. He had to, give me a sign. (laughs) Give me a sign. And I've heard people say, don't ask for a fleece or you'll get fleeced. Go away. You just follow whatever whim pops in your head. That's your problem. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? You know, don't put out a fleece or you'll get fleeced. You know, don't ask God for a sign. Baloney. <laughs> God's in the job of persuading you, not getting offended because you didn't believe him the first time. And it's not good to just go with every whim that floats through your brain. That is not the Holy Spirit. Are you breathing? (laughs) So if you want to walk in the Spirit, you've got to be willing to break with group consciousness. You've got to be willing to break with group mindsets. And the biggest place you have to be willing to break with it is is how you've internalized who the group told you that you were. It's whatever feedback I'm getting from people is identifying who I think I am, and then I live inside that box. And the work of the Spirit is to come and upset the mindset, to come and disrupt that box and begin to show you that you can break out of that and you can be something else. You can break out of that and you can do something else. You can break out of that and you can have something else. But you have to change the way you think. And not just a thought. You have to change the mindset from being set, settled, on this is how it is, to persuade it until you're settled about what the Holy Spirit is saying about how it is. Does that make sense? So you just start looking at your beliefs. What are you saying to yourself about yourself? And we're going to spend a lot of time looking at group consciousness. What, what, is, what does group consciousness tell us about Health and wellness. What does group consciousness tell us about length of life? What does group consciousness tell us about provision and money? What does group consciousness tell us about what is possible? In ter- what, is, what is religious group consciousness? What box has that put us in? Because if you can understand, you're not the problem. God's not the problem. And the devil's not the problem. Your problem My problem, our problem, is between our ears. It's how we think. You're not fatally flawed. You're not broken. If you have a belief, let me do this one, just a simple one. If you believe, I can't change, or nothing ever works for me, it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me, you will experience what you believe. So the first belief you need to change is, I can't change. (laughs) The first belief you have to change is, it won't work for me. Because if you believe that, you can have the best of the best of the best of the best of everything, and nothing will work. Why? Because God will not violate your free will and will not allow someone else to violate your free will. One of the most important lessons I had to learn as a minister was and counselor, therapist, people helper, is to not, listen carefully, to not want victory for people more than they want it for themselves. 
to not want change for people more than they want change for themselves. Because it will drive me crazy. Because <laughs> God honors your wants. God honors your desires. God honors your choices. And God honors your freedom to choose. In fact, this whole system, Christ dying for us, was to break all the controlling powers and bondages off of our life so that we could be free to choose after the Spirit and not be stuck in the box of the flesh. So watch this. Jesus dies according to the flesh. He was the seed of David according to the flesh. He was the Messiah according to the flesh. Are you a king? It's a watered-down translation when, I think it was Pilate, asks him, are you a king? And, I don't know, it's some watered-down translation that says it's as you say or something. But in the original language, it's more like he looked at Pilate and said, you bet I am. And he died to, because of who he was according to the flesh. So that he could be raised in the fullness of who he was in the spirit. To show us that if we're going to get to this side, we have to die to who we are according to the flesh. If, I, if it was important enough to me to work out numbers and not realize that I can hire accountants and all that other stuff. If I wanted to change that, I would have to die to who I was in the third grade. I'd have to die to who I was eighth grade, freshman, sophomore year. I'd have to die to who I was senior year. I'd have to die to who I was freshman year in college. In all those respects, I'd have to let go of all those beliefs before I could even begin to approach algebra or any math, frankly, in a way that it'll make sense to me. Because I have all these emotional ideas about who I am that prevent me from being able to even hear or understand good instruction. See, I could go through different teachers. That's what I did. Went through different teachers, went through different tutors, went through different classes. But see, I believed so strongly, I'm not good at this, that I could have had the best of the best of the best of the best of the best, and I probably did. And I still couldn't learn it because I believed I couldn't learn it. Does that make sense to you? Can you see the power of that? So it's really simple. You don't have to go out here real heavy. It just, it's really simple. What kind of things do you say to yourself about yourself that are not serving you or benefiting you in a way that's getting you to where you want to be? What feels true that's stopping you from getting to where you want to be? Start upsetting that mindset. Start engaging. And the best way to do it, the Lord is with you. Start engaging the Lord about that situation. Lord, I believe I'm terrible at math. Lord, I believe I'm terrible with numbers. Lord, I believe I'm worthless. Lord, I believe I can't change. Help my unbelief. And he'll begin to go to work for you. He'll begin to help you uncover what, what were the traumas behind that. What were the hurts and the rejections? Where, where was the group settings in which all of that occurred? And he'll begin to show you things that happened that stamped you with beliefs so that they seemed real. And, you can, and it's very simple. By engaging the Lord, you just begin to exchange the lie for truth. Lord, I let go. I believe I'm terrible. I believe nothing ever works out for me. Lord, I am releasing the belief that nothing ever works out for me. And I want you to show me how you see me. And you'll start thinking thoughts. The Lord is with you, mighty man or woman of valor. <laughs> you can do all things through Christ. Then you have to ingest that. You have to work with that. Don't move on to something else. Work with that until it's second nature to you 
that you believe something else. Don't go out and quit your job tomorrow because I said God is your source. Don't think you can say, well, my job is not my source. I hate my boss. I hate my job. God is my source. Pastor Aaron said God is my source. I'm out of here. Don't come around me asking for money when they're turning off your lights and shutting off your water. Because it's about having a mindset according to, not a new idea to get you out of a situation that you're uncomfortable in. So start working on it. Yes, God is your source, but become fully persuaded that God is your source while you're working on finding a new job or something. (laughs) God, you're my source. Provide for me so there's a nice smooth transition. Now, God may tell you to quit before you get the new job, but you better make sure you're hearing God. If you're not sure, do some fleecing. Lord, give me sign. Give me confirmation. Help me. Amen? Does that work for you? Let's stand up. Let's pray. I went kind of long, I guess. But that's not new for me. Some of you look tired, though. So, stretch. <laughs> Yawn. Let's just look, look to the Lord corporately for a couple more minutes. Heavenly Father, we just invite your presence right now. We, we invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and our minds to show us the hurtful, harmful ways in which we think and believe so that we can transition from group mindset to spirit mindset, from that which is carnal to that which is truly spiritual. Lord, I thank you that you're working at very deep levels right now, levels that are beyond words, levels that are beyond our understanding because of your incredibly great care and love for us. Father, I speak a blessing over every person that's here, every person that might be watching or listening. I pray the power of your kingdom would come in their lives this week in new and fresh ways, beginning with breaking down cultural mindsets, breaking down group mindsets, breaking down traumatic mindsets, and exposing the lies that we believe about ourselves. Lord, with grace and ease thrown in there, (laughs) so that it comes with grace, it comes with ease, and it comes with peace. And empowerment. And we ask this in Jesus' most holy name.